this next season in my life as a pastor and in our life as a church is going to be marked as a season where we learn and yearn together to depend more desperately on the Lord than we ever have. Because our God is a great God. Well, church, it's great to see you guys this morning. Y'all doing good? Good. If you got your Bible, Matthew chapter 4 this morning. Matthew chapter 4. I'm Barrett, one of the pastors here, and I'm so grateful that you have chosen to worship with us today. And um, we are continuing today our season of prayer. And if you've got your Bibles, like I said, Matthew chapter 4, we're going to be starting in verse 1. And if you have your uh, guides or something to write notes with, I would encourage you to get them open to uh, the message of today, uh, which is called Praying in Temptation. Praying in Temptation, the importance of superior satisfaction. We have been in a season of prayer, and we've called this season a season of desperate dependence. We've been talking about over and over how God has created us for relationship with Him, and this relationship looks like one that is an ongoing relationship. It's not just Sunday mornings uh, as we come into worship, and it's not just the token prayers that we might pray uh, before bed or early in the morning or right before you eat, Uh, but God has called us into an abiding relationship with Himself to where literally, as Jesus describes in John 15, we make our home in God. He says, abide in me. In other words, make me your dwelling place. That's literally what he means. Our dwelling place should be in relationship with God. And I don't know about you guys, but, um, you know, when I think about a dwelling place, I'm not thinking about somewhere I am once, you know, five minutes a day or something like that, or once a week. I'm thinking about somewhere where I, I love to be, somewhere where I make my residence, where I make my home. And this is exactly what it looks like to really grow in a relationship with God. It's to really increasingly learn the joy of making our home in God to where we can fulfill what the Scripture says, pray without ceasing. That means prayer has got to become more than an activity in our day, a religious routine in our life, Prayer has to be the ongoing posture of our heart. How do you pray without ceasing? You fulfill what Jesus says. Make your dwelling place in me. We've defined desperate dependence pretty clearly. A posture of abiding in God's presence, longing for God's power, and depending on God's promises. And we've said over and over that this is one of the chief characteristics of a true follower of Jesus one who understands in their heart that their dwelling place is in God, that without this ongoing relationship with God, like Jesus says, nothing is possible. But in this relationship with God, all things are possible. We are never meant to live independently and autonomously apart from God. We are always, we were created to live, and this rubs against our culture, but we were created to live dependently, We were not created to find our identity and our value and our worth and our joy and our purpose and on and on it goes. 
We're not created to, to find that apart from God. All that we are is, is dependent on our relationship with God. We were always meant to be attached to God, like a branch is attached to a tree. Well, I don't have time to reteach the whole desperate dependence um, thing. That's not the point today. But I, I just want to constantly invite you. I believe the Holy Spirit and God's Word is constantly desiring to invite us into a deeper relationship with God. No matter where you are, you need to grow deeper. You need to have a greater understanding that God has created you to, to find your dwelling place in Him. And we can grow increasingly in our desperation and our dependence upon God. Does that make sense? So, this morning, as we've been going through this season, we've been talking about the different aspects of this dependent relationship. And I just wonder, is there anybody in the room that has ever faced temptation? All right, a few brave souls. Your hand was high, man. That's good. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for your honesty. Uh, everybody else's should have been, too. Um, so, yeah? Okay, I'll just wait a second until everybody's there. Uh, I'm just playing. The reality is um, all of us struggle with temptation. All of us know the Bible is very clear. Even from the beginning, if you look at the picture of the, the Garden of Eden, the way that God originally created things to be, Adam and Eve knew the same is true for all of us today. They knew that they were created for God. Romans 1 describes the same thing for all of us. We know that God exists. We know that our lives are owed to Him. We know we have a conscience. We know right and wrong. And yet all of us struggle with obedience, right? All of us struggle to live as God originally designed us to live. All of us struggle with authority, hearing God's voice, and in your heart, willingly agreeing with what God says, living as God has designed. We struggle, and we face temptation. We have, I mean, it's, it's why in the most basic prayer that most everybody's familiar with, that we studied earlier in this season, remember, as Jesus teaches us to pray, one of the key lines, lead us not into temptation. It's a common struggle for all of us. We struggle with riches and power and honor. We struggle with lots of worldly and material things that cause us to, to think that somehow we do not need God. We also struggle with times of poverty or disgrace or affliction or contempt. Things that tempt us to lose despair or to lose hope in God. I bet if you had a list, you could probably name the most common temptations that you face. It's a real deal for all of us. And yet our, we know 
And we want, I believe, our hearts to remain with God. And the question for us is, how does prayer relate to these times of temptation? Right? That's, that's kind of the question we're going to be wrestling with today. Is, is how is it that in our times of prayer we can move closer to God as we face these temptations. And that's what we're going to look at. Praying in temptation and the importance of superior satisfaction. Now I've chosen this morning a text for us in Matthew chapter 4, and I want to read out of the English Standard Version uh, verses 1 through 11. Because did you know that Jesus was also tempted? Anybody know that? Okay, I'll just go and tell you, Jesus was also tempted, which tells us that the temptation in and of itself is not sin. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, lead us not into temptation. In other words, lead us not to give in in the moment of testing. Jesus was perfect. Jesus did not sin. Jesus is the only one, and it's very important that you know this, he's the only one as the Son of God. Through his life, we see a record of complete obedience to God. But he was made perfect through his sufferings, and in his time of testing, we see the strength of his righteousness. But yet, he was tempted, just as you and I are. Yet, Hebrews says, without sin. So the temptation in and of itself is not what is wrong. It's not what is sinful. In fact, we see that God allows temptation, and we'll talk about this more in a little bit as we get into the text. But I want to help you see this morning as we look at the text, Jesus was tempted yet without sin. And I want to study together our Savior and his moment of temptation so that we might be helped in our moment of temptation and not be led, not enter into it as we pray. Starting in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, 
you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is God's word. Now, I want to say at the outset that the most important part of this passage is not for you to learn how to overcome sin, but to know that Jesus, your Savior, has overcome sin. The most important part of this passage, even though we're going to look at it today to learn about how he dealt with temptation and how we can deal with temptation, the most striking part of this passage is that in the face of an entire record of humanity's disobedience, starting with Adam and Eve in the garden and their disobedience, the the world had been longing for restoration in relationship with God. And that could only come through a record of perfect obedience and everybody's looking around going, nobody's got that record. Nobody's got a way to be right with God. And one of the things that should amaze you is that Jesus, your Savior, stepped in to save you and to live for you. Jesus' redemption does not just come in his death, but also in his life, because a perfect record of obedience is necessary for right standing before God. You must not only have no sin, but you must have the presence of righteousness. And what we see in Jesus' temptation is that he didn't fail like Adam and Eve failed. But he remained faithful and obedient to God. He is achieving the record of perfect righteousness that he will give to all who believe upon him. And that is the greatest news of this particular passage, is that Satan throws everything at him. And Jesus maintains faithfulness to God. And because he maintains faithfulness to God, when you do not, you have the opportunity through your faith in him to have righteousness, a perfect record of obedience, because what counts for him, he allows to count for you. Amen? That is, that's the most amazing part of this passage, because I'm telling you, there's not a single soul in this room who will be saved because you're perfect through temptation. You don't have a perfect record of obedience and you trying to clean yourself up through temptation is not going to make you more right with God. The only way to be right with God is to trust in your Savior Jesus who is and always was and through his life maintained rightness with God, right? It's the only way. So, 
I'm not saying we need to pray through temptation to be saved because we look at our Savior and he was perfect through temptation and by your faith in him, you can be saved. You can be saved and forgiven. Praise God. All right, we got that out of the way. We still can learn now from his time of temptation though. And that's what I want to look at today because there is an opportunity to learn. There's four things that I want to help you see today and we're going to go through them quickly, and hopefully you're in a small group, and you can study God's Word and talk to a community and grow through the daily devotions that we continue to offer through the app that reinforce all that we're talking about on Sunday. Um, but I want to give you four basic principles of praying and temptation this morning that I see from God's Word. The first one is this. And they all start with R and include an S, and I hope you enjoy that. <laughs> I enjoy doing it for you. Number one is I want you to see that we need to recognize the spiritual battle. That we need to recognize that we are in a spiritual battle. If you look back at the text, at the very beginning, there's some clues here that help us to see what's going on. This is deeper than the surface level events that are happening. Verse 1 says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit, which means that God sometimes allows, oftentimes, testing and temptation in our life because it, it's an opportunity for us to grow in greater dependence and desperation for Him. Like metal through a fire, faith is purified through suffering and through testing. It's a spiritual dynamic here. The Spirit of God is leading Jesus into this. This is not something I'm saying. The Word of God plainly says that. And then it says when he gets to the wilderness, he's, he's there to be tempted by the devil. Spiritual dynamic going on here. If you go to verse 3, you see clearly it says, and the tempter came. This is not Jesus having thoughts within himself. This is not just circumstances just randomly happening to him. There's a spiritual dynamic going on. The tempter came. It goes on in verse 5 and says, then the devil took him to the holy city and the temple. And the devil said to him, in verse 8 and 9, it says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. And the devil said to him, in verse 11, it says, then the devil left him. So what's happening here, you have to, to recognize that what's going on in the life of Jesus, but also what's going on in our lives, and I'll explain this to you as we talk here, is we got to recognize that we're in a spiritual battle. You might think that the issue here, you know, Jesus is just, he's just hungry and he's just dealing with bread. Or he's just dealing with power. He's just dealing with, I mean, in your life, you, you name it, when you face temptation. And you might think your struggle is with the internet or pornography, or a drug, or a drink, 
or a relationship or a particular income source or a particular dynamic at play in your workplace, whatever it is, whatever those temptations are, you might think it's just blank. But the reality is, for Jesus, it was not just bread, and it was not just power. This is a spiritual issue going on, and the issue is, is much deeper. The issue is, is in his heart. It's, it's, it's not just here with, with bread. This is, this is much bigger than that. So, that's why we read in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Why? Your adversary, the devil. Wait, you mean this is... I thought this was just with Jesus. No, with you. Don't you understand that there's a spiritual battle going on? And your adversary, there is an adversary, and he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. As Jesus says, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. The reality is we have to wake up and recognize that there is a battle going on for your heart. This is not just about the surface level things that we face, friends. This is about a deeper battle that's not seen with our eyes, perhaps. What we, what we face is, is a computer screen or this person in front of us or a piece of bread or this drug. But the reality is the real issue is much bigger than, than what's right in front of your face. And the Bible calls us to be sober-minded, to be watchful. This is exactly why Jesus said to his disciples, do you remember in the garden? And he says, watch and pray so that you do not enter into temptation. One of the opportunities that prayer gives us is to awaken ourselves to the truest reality of the things that we face. Otherwise, you're going to be fighting just what is physically right in front of you. But prayer calls us to be watchful, to be sober-minded, to be aware that this is more than just what's right in front of us. This is an issue in the spiritual realm that needs desperately God. We'll talk about that more in a second, but this is, this is beyond what's right in front of you. Everybody tracking with me here. Think about those things that you're tempted with most often, and I'm asking the question, do you see that? Do you see that it's bigger than what's right in front of you? Those temptations that you most often face, or do you just fight with what's right in front of you? Prayer calls us to be sober-minded and watchful, to have a perspective that's aware that this is a bigger issue. Ephesians chapter 6 speaks to us of the same battle. It's probably the premier place in the Scripture to look at what it looks like to engage in spiritual warfare. And in verse 12, we'll use this passage in the next couple of points, but in verse 12 it says, 
I could not even say this more explicitly than this verse says. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Your battle's not with the stuff that you see right in front of you. But what's your battle against? The rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And I'm telling you, friends, I've got to move on, but I'm telling you, if you don't recognize this, you will not see growth and progress in your fight against sin. If all you're doing is fighting the computer or fighting the person or fighting the substance or or fighting whatever it is, the the power or the bank account, you're not going to see progress. You've got to elevate your awareness to the fact that this is a bigger deal and only God can overcome what you're facing. This is not something that you can just go, oh, I'll stay away from bread. No! This is the devil trying to tempt you away from God. This is a big deal. So much more than bread. And Jesus sees it. And the question is, do you? Do you see it? Prayer gives us an opportunity to watch and pray so that you may not enter into temptation. Be sober-minded and watchful. Recognize the spiritual battle. Number two, resist sin and Satan. Resist sin and Satan. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. As Satan comes and tempts him, Oh, you look hungry, Jesus. You want some bread? (laughs) It's from Olive Garden and Red Lobster. They have the best cheesy biscuits ever. Some of of y'all have been coming out of a fast, and you can imagine how tempting a cheesy biscuit from a Red Lobster would be, right? I pick restaurants by the bread. My mama always said, she said, you know, the Lord said, man should not live by bread alone, but I can sure die trying. And that, was, that was her line. It's not a good line to, to work into the sermon, but <laughs> sorry, Mom. I, she didn't really mean it. It was just a joke because we love bread in our house. You want some bread? And the most important thing that Jesus can do in this moment is immediately resist the temptation. But he answered. Verse 4. But he answered. In other words, turn of event. Look at the cheesy biscuit. Oh, no. No. No, 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 no. Because, you see, it is written. And he uses scripture. Notice, we talked earlier about praying with confidence in the importance of Scripture. And if you don't know how to pray the Word of God, it's one of the greatest things that you can learn. Notice how Jesus uses Scripture. It is written. He's not saying, I don't feel like eating bread today. It's not what he says. I, I, I don't think God doesn't want... No, he, he, he's confident. And he uses the Scripture in his battle. No! 
For it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He resists. If you go on, verse 5, you know, Satan tempts him again with trying to test the Lord. And verse 7, Jesus immediately says back to him, no, again. Some of us succeed the first time, and then it happens. The same temptation comes about, sometimes within a few minutes, and we don't succeed the second time. And Jesus knows that he's got to have his his guard up against the schemes of the devil. Again, Satan. It is written, and he fights, like Ephesians 6 tells us, with the word of God, our offensive weapon. Again, it is written. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In verse 8 and 9, he tempts him with, with power. And Jesus says to him, Again, this is not passive, this is active. (laughs) And he speaks back, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord, your God, and only him shall you serve. This is, there's a, okay. This is the fulfillment to the prayer, Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. In the moments of temptation, we can pray, oh God, would I not fall into temptation? May I stand firm against the schemes of the devil and stay faithful to you. You have to make a choice to resist sin. You have to say no. It's essential. It's not the only thing we're going to learn to say, but in our prayer we say, oh God, would you help me not to fall into it? Would you help me to say no when I am tempted? You understand? God, would you help me not even to entertain or consider the prospect of giving into sin? We talked about this a few weeks ago. I'm trying to tie things together for you with Psalm 51 on, on Palm Sunday. Understanding repentance and brokenness leads us to a place that in our temptation we can see sin closer to what it is. It's primarily a sin against God. God, would you help me to see this moment for what you see it as? It's not just a struggle with this piece of bread, but God, it's a struggle to believe you. And God, would you help me not to want to grieve your heart? Would you help me not to want to turn away from you against you and you only, David says, have I sinned? So the issue is with God. So we, go to, we, we say, no, God, I, I'm staying with you. You see what I'm saying? Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to go back to this and reference it again, but it says, interestingly, how important our defensive stance is against sin. In the battles that we face, it says, put on the whole armor of God, verse 11 and 12, that you may be able, and then it says several times in this passage, we're going to see this, to stand against the schemes of the devil. In other words, like a soldier mounted outside of the castle, 
and he is unmoved in his post, we will stand. As we pray, we pray, God, would you help me to stand, to be unmoved in the face of temptation, to be faithful in the post that you have assigned to me. Would you help me, Lord, to stand against the schemes of the devil? In other words, somebody can get up in my face and go, don't you want to move? Look here, come over here. Aren't you tired of standing that way right now? Have a seat. And he goes, no, I, this is my post and I will be faithful. And then in verse 13, I believe it's the next one. Therefore, it says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. Again, that picture of being unmoved so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, what's it say again? To stand firm. So it's important that utilizing the resources we have and especially God's word that we resist in the temptation of sin. And we resist Satan, that we stay faithful. And you can pray. You can pray this. Do you pray this with sincerity? I don't know. People who pray the Lord's Prayer and leave me not into temptation. I don't know what you're, what's going on in your heart when you pray that. But what I hope is going on in your heart is, Lord, in your own way, you said, Lord, would you help me in every moment of temptation that I face today? Would you help me to stay faithful to you? to stand firm. I, I'm going to face temptation. Lead me not into it. Help me, Lord. You can pray that, you can pray that. That God will help you not to fall into temptation, that you would stand firm. Do you? Do you pray that? Do you have a defensive stance? That's one of the opportunities of prayer. You put on armor to be ready to defend because you know you're about to be attacked. How stupid would it be if you don't get ready for battle? And so often we wonder, why am I falling into sin again and again and again? Are you ready for battle? Are you praying, God, would you help me to be ready to defend against the schemes of Satan? Does that make sense? Number three. Now, this is, this is life-changing, okay? This is where I really believe we have an opportunity to grow so much. That's why I used it in the title of the message. Number three. So, number one, we recognize spiritual battle. Number two, we resist sin and Satan. Number three, we realize superior satisfaction. Could everybody say that with me, please? We realize superior satisfaction. We realize superior satisfaction. Verse 3. I'm going to go back to it. As the tempter comes and says to Jesus, Well, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? By every word that comes from the mouth of God. He tempts him with testing God. No, 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 no. 
You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Don't you see? He's so much bigger and better than that. We don't do that to God. You tempt me with power, but wait, 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 wait. Don't you know? Don't you know? I'm not going to worship anyone than the Lord. He's the only one worthy of worship. God said to me, shall worship him with all you are. Serve him only. Okay, here, here's the good. Okay, ready? In our temptation, you do not just need to learn to say no, but you also have to learn to say yes. And you're going, what? I'm not talking about yes to sin. You say no to sin, but at the same moment you say no to sin, you say yes to something far better than sin. You say yes to God. And this is where it was life-changing for me in my spiritual growth. Because for so long, in, in an attempt to kill sin, all I was doing was putting a no to it. But after a while, what happens is, you can easily get tired of saying no. Anybody ever been there? And what happens is your heart is made to be a worshiping heart. And if your heart is not filled by God, then your heart is going to long to be filled with other things other than God. And what happens is if all you learn is to say no, 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 no to sin, but your heart never receives satisfaction from God, then that sin is eventually going to tempt you because your heart needs satisfaction. And if God ain't providing satisfaction, you're going to look and need sin too. It's empty, frail as it is. So we have to learn not just to say no, but to say yes to God. Which is why prayer is so interwoven into our battle against temptation. Because what's happening in Jesus is he's saying, no, man shall not live by bread alone. But he's not just saying that. He continues and says, but man does have something to live by. And it is far better than bread. It's every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So I'm not going to feast on your bread. No. But I am going to feast on something else, and it will satisfy me, and it's what God gives far better than what you give Satan. You see? In the face of each of the temptations, he's saying no, but he's coming back and saying yes, because God is far better. <laughs> I'm going I'm to worship God. My heart is made for worship. Jesus with his own mouth says that. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, verse 10, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In other words, Satan, you think you're offering me something good, but I'm looking at this as a pack of saltine crackers when I can go down the street and eat all you can eat buffet. Yo, saltine crackers don't look so good, yo. When y'all got the buffet next door, y'all with me? And you have to fight like that, or otherwise you might be convinced that the saltine crackers is, is amazing. They're not. 
They're cheap. They're terrible. They make you feel hungry again after about 30 seconds. So I can eat about 500 of them in one sitting. <laughs> but you better be careful because if you don't learn to pray in superior satisfaction, you'll be tempted to think that the saltine crackers is amazing. And it's not. What God offers is so much greater. As C.S. Lewis says, how stupid if we end up making like little kids making mud pies in the slums when God has offered us a holiday at the sea. What God offers is far greater for our hearts. It's so much more fulfilling, so much more satisfying, so much more enduring. God offers us himself. And our hearts are restless until they find their home in him. John Owen, in his classic, The Mortification of Sin, and anybody ever read it? Sounds like a very exciting title, I know. Um, you can Amazon it and spend a, a good afternoon reading. I actually highly encourage it. Um, but what he says is that we must weaken sin at its motivational level by meditating on God's holiness and his love for us in Christ and then seeing our specific sins in that light. This is the process that makes sin unattractive to us. We begin to find its folly, and like I said, we see it in its true light, and then begin to have the ability to resist it in the future. So what happens is, what we need to do is identify those specific habitual sin patterns. Those specific places of temptation where you find yourself giving in to sin. And then you have to load those, those specific places with spiritually alive, superior thoughts, okay, about God and about salvation that will essentially poison the root of your sin struggles. Maybe it's intimacy with the Father, or maybe it's the costly sacrifice of, of Christ, or maybe it's the glory of, of God or the patience of the Lord. But the reality is we will find sin diminishing as we hold the superior satisfaction of God before our minds and our hearts and our wills. And like fungus and mildew that die under the warmth of the rays of the sun, our sin will meet its end under the glory and the superior satisfaction of God the Father. The problem is that if all, and this, is, this was my life for so long, if all we do is just say no, then you're just going to be giving effort to stop sin that come from conviction of the law. And that will only temporarily stop sin. But those who seek to weaken sin by the Spirit and the gospel will be able to change the whole person, the mind and the will and the affections. Mortification, Owen says, that only comes from conviction of the law, from a belief that we can somehow save ourselves by our own efforts, cannot really change a sinful heart. It can only squelch behavior temporarily through external pressure. But friends, we need an internal change. So real victory comes 
as yes, you say no, but then you open your heart up to say there's something far greater in the truth of the gospel that can satisfy my weary, needy, helpless heart. Right? And we say, God, I'm saying no to sin, but I'm saying yes to you. This is a moment, God, that I'm coming to you and I'm saying what sin is tempting me in, I need to find in you. I know my heart is not made for sin, it's made for you, and I'm giving you my heart. Fill me, God. Satisfy me to the point of overflow. Y'all, y'all tracking? Do I need to move on? Stay here a little bit longer? <laughs> Let me give you a verse or two. Psalm 16, verse 11 one of the ones I memorized early on in my Christian walk, and it helps me say yes to God. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is what? Fullness of joy. It is okay to be happy. To want to be happy is a good desire, but you need to understand that happiness is only found fully and sustainably in the presence of God. It's okay to be happy. You want to be happy. But happiness is found in God. In the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are what? Pleasures forevermore. How do you fight pornography? How do you fight drugs? How do you fight an addictive relationship? How do you fight money? How do you fight all? You've got to believe that the pleasures of God are greater than the pleasures of sex. The pleasures of God are greater than the pleasures of money. The pleasures of God are greater than the pleasures of intimacy. Whatever those things are, you've got to hold on to this with your heart. Psalm 73 echoes this as well. The psalmist is struggling. He's on the struggle bus, big time. Because he's looking around and he's going, I'm looking at all these folks who don't even know the Lord, and it seems like they are doing far better than the people who do know the Lord, and I'm just about to be done with this thing. And at the point where he's almost done with this thing, it says in verse 16 of 73, but when I thought about how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until, here's the turning point, prayer, until I went into the sanctuary of the Lord, and then I discerned their end. Okay, what I, I want to just crack open this for you. What he's saying here is that he thought, man, maybe it's better just to sin. He thought about giving up on saying no, but things changed for him. Like Philippians 4, such your mind, not on things below, but things above. When he went in the sanctuary and he got in the room of prayer and he began looking at God, he realized, God, even if they get everything they have and they want in this world and I get nothing, I have you. And in the end, it's far better to have you than anything else in the world. And when he got a right perspective of God, and the fullness of superior satisfaction in God, and he learned to say yes to that, his temptation ended. You see? So, we're going to say no, and then we're going to say what? Yes. Okay, this side of the room, you can say no. Help me. We're going to say? No. And then we're going to say? Yes. We're going to say? No. Yes. This is fun. It's kind of like being at a ball game. <laughs> I don't know. I've never done that before in my life. Don't ask me why. But it, I really want to get this in your heads. In the prayer room, we resist and we stand firm, but we also seek superior satisfaction in Jesus. Okay? Fourth and finally, 
And this is just kind of a capstone, and I'm going to invite us to respond, is this. We recognize the spiritual battle. We resist sin and Satan. Third, we realize superior satisfaction. And fourth, we receive the Holy Spirit's power. Because, friends, at the end of the day, this is not about what we do in the moments of temptation as much as it is what we avail ourselves to God to do for us. Matthew chapter 4. It says in verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Which means that in, as Jesus faced temptation, he wasn't apart from God. Some of us think in our temptations God is far, but God is with Jesus. The Spirit of God is with him as he goes into the desert, into the wilderness. The Spirit is not far from Jesus. He's not left Jesus on his own to deal with temptation. The Spirit led him there. And friends, if you are in Christ, you are a temple of the Spirit of God, and the Spirit is not going to leave you or forsake you. It's the promise of Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Same is true for us as it is for Jesus. God is not far and then at the end of the passage in verse 11, it says, Then the devil left him, and behold, look at here, angels came and were ministering to him. In other words, God is taking care of him. In his moment of, of weakness, it's the presence and the power of God that brought Jesus the victory. And I'll tell you this, it's the presence of power of God that will bring you the victory. If there's ever an opportunity for victory against the battles you face, it will only be because of God. Now this is why 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 says to us clearly that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. For God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In other words, there's no temptation you face that the Holy Spirit cannot overcome. Isn't that good news? In every moment of testing and temptation, the Holy Spirit is present with you, and the Holy Spirit is powerful to work for those who call upon Him. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that can work in your heart today. Do you believe this? And in your temptation, what God says, every temptation, don't you say, well, I just had to give in to it. There was no other way. Ah, wrong. If you believe that, no matter what situation you're in, then you don't believe God's Word. Because God's Word says that in every temptation you face, there's a way out. But the way out is only by the Spirit's power. It's not going to be about what you can do as you say no and yes, but God's got to grab a hold of your heart. Because this battle is a heart battle. But God can allow you to see victory every time. But remember... You're not fighting for victory, you're fighting from victory. The victory has already been won. Sin has met its death on the cross. 
the power of sin is done. You're fighting to realize the power that Jesus affords in your life as you believe in him. Holy Spirit power. Ephesians 6.10 Finally, be strong in the Lord. In the same passage about spiritual warfare, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. In other words, don't you think for a minute that you're a weakling. Some of you have an identity of a weakling when you get into sin. Oh, well, you are a weakling, but you're not on your own weakling. And because you're not on your own weakling, you're strong because you have the strength of God's might with you. You see? So as you face temptation, face it with, with faith. Be strong in the strength that God offers. And then verse 18, how does the strength come? That's why I tell you, it's in the prayer series. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, sounds like Jesus in the garden, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. How are you going to get strong? Pray. How are you going to get strong? Pray. Pray, pray, pray. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Pray. Live your life desperately dependent upon the Lord. And when you do that, you will see His strength. Praying in temptation. The importance of superior satisfaction. As we close this morning, I just want to encourage you to get in a posture of prayer. I believe some of you guys are, I, I just know myself, I'm not picking on you, but I'm just telling you, we battle sin. And some of us have been living in defeat and we're wondering how is it that we're going to see change in our life? How is it? And some of us have, have felt overcome in the battle against sin and, and we've just gotten off a weekend where we celebrated the victory of Christ. And we know that in a final sense our sin is not going to have the last word but God's grace is. But I, what I want to know is right now, today, do you believe that the same power of God that can save you for heaven can also transform your life today so that you're no longer struggling over and over and over the same sin, but you're realizing victory in Christ? And we've been talking about the importance of prayer in all of us, and prayer lifts our desperation for God, and it allows us in our moments of struggle, and I'm just asking, do you see it as a spiritual battle? And maybe that's your prayer point today. It's, God, would you help me? To, I've been fighting this, but really, this is a bigger picture. And God, would you help me to see it for what it really is? This is an issue of my heart, and I need you. Are you saying no? Are you staying faithful in your post? Are you resisting and using the word of God? Maybe today you just need to say, God, I'm sorry. I haven't seen this for what it is. This is a sin against you, and I haven't really cared about this so much, but God, this breaks your heart against you, and you only have I sinned. And Lord, I need to be more serious about resisting the enemy, staying faithful to you. Third, are you allured by superior satisfaction in Christ? Do you see that it's not just about no, but about yes, to something God offers far better. Are you stuck in salting crackers? Are you eating from the buffet that God provides? And maybe this morning you just need to say, God, I want to feast from your buffet. I've been saying no and doing my own willpower, resisting, but God, my heart needs satisfaction. And I'm opening myself up today. God, I need you to satisfy the deepest parts of me. Bring the change within.
and laugh and just say today, God, I can't do it, but you're with me and your power is available for me as I trusted you. I need your Holy Spirit to win the victory. And just commit, just commit to live a spirit-filled and spirit-powered life. Every person responding right now, just get in a posture where you can just pray. We're going to sing and just going to open up a time of response. There's prayer counselors going to be up front. This altar is open. Some of us need to come and just get on our knees before the Lord and just pray. Just call out, God is here right now. And he can work in a powerful way as you call out to him. And I'm just wondering, do you believe it? Come and pray with us about anything. Nothing too small, nothing too big. And if you need to be saved this morning, if you're in sin and you have no assurance of salvation, oh, call out to Jesus. Call out to Jesus. Confess your sin and believe in what he's done in his life, death, and resurrection for the forgiveness of sin in your new life and call out to Jesus that you might be saved. But all of us this morning need to give more of our hearts to the Lord, seeking him, desperate, depending upon him. We're here for you. Let's pray.